when it was announced that the ladies of Sex and the City would be returning to our screens, fans were so excited. Then season one of And Just Like That proved to be pretty lackluster. And now it seems that even the second season won't be able to recapture the magic of the original series. So why has the reboot been so unable to reproduce what we all loved so much about the original show? Each episode of Sex and the City explored a central theme layered with silly jokes. Well, if you're tired, you take a Napa. You don't move to Napa. And a healthy dose of character development. I love you too, Richard. But I love me more. All tied in a bow with Carrie's voiceover. Maybe you have to let go of who you were. It makes it to become who you will be. The show was almost mercilessly formulaic and definitely cheesy at times. Are men just women with balls? But there was something comforting and profound about the show and its repeatable rhythms. And just like that foregoes almost all of these aspects, trading the cringe puns for much worse jokes. A MILF list for real? Yes, it's basically MILFgate. <laughs> the character development for trite, loud, and shallow statements that are years late. Goddamn. And Carrie's voiceover for a podcast that ends up getting canceled. Till next time, I'm Carrie Bradshaw, and this is Sex in the City. It feels like an entirely different show that just happens to have the same actors playing now completely unrelatable characters named Carrie, Charlotte, and Miranda. So we couldn't help but wonder why is and just like that falling just like flat? Here's our take on what makes Sex in the City so special. Why and just like that's departure from the tried and true formula caused the show to lose its magic and whether the franchise can be redeemed. Sex and the City had a couple of structural problems that had to be remedied before it could be revived. First, Kim Cattrall was not interested in returning as Samantha. If I worried what every bitch in New York was saying about me, I'd never leave the house. Although she does have an upcoming scene in the show's second season finale. Second, the show has been criticized in the past for lacking strong roles for people of color. While the show's creators have said that no one can replace Samantha, it seems they tried to tackle both the Samantha problem and the diversity problem at the same time. Before the show premiered, creator Mike Michael Patrick King touted that there would be six new series regulars and half of them would be women of color. By introducing so many diverse side characters with their own fabulous qualities, perhaps King was thinking maybe, just maybe, the audience wouldn't miss Samantha so much, especially if a character is taking up the mantle of bringing friends to the hottest spots to meet men. A five-star hotel bar. Super expensive room, so you know he has coin, and deadbeats aren't allowed to wander in off the street. It's a nice attempt to create a fictional New York that is actually reflective of its real citizens, or at least the really rich ones, and to give these talented actors of all backgrounds the showcase they deserve. However, this fractured identity makes for a show that's chaotically all over the place and doesn't stick the landing emotionally. By giving everyone these short amounts of screen time, no one has the potential to meaningfully develop, with writers giving lip service but not real service to any of the cast. And with storylines involving more plots about parents and children than romantic relationships, the show is giving less sex in the city and more modern family. Even though the original show was so focused on Carrie, her boyfriend, and her friends that episodes could at times feel repetitive and cyclical, the tight focus allowed the characters space to experience real character growth. I am not that woman. Please, Charlotte. I feel bad enough already. Good. 
You should feel bad. The show also lets go of one of the most important aspects that made Sex and the City special, the core friendship. With Miranda in LA for a lot of season two and all of the women hanging out with new friends and partners instead of each other, and just like that breaks the formula of a central group of friends coming together around a unified theme without offering anything nearly as compelling to fill the void. But even though we don't get to see the magic of the original quad together, the fact that the show focuses on friendships between older women at all is important in its own way. Shows so often pretend that older women don't make friends and have fun, or full-on pretend that they don't even exist. So the fact that the reboot is showcasing so many stories of older women is something to give it props for. On Sex and the City, Carrie Bradshaw's life was never exactly relatable, but she did have plenty of moments of financial wavering. Sometimes I would buy Vogue instead of dinner. I just felt it fed me more. And there were many other moments of strife, from Miranda's mother's death, to Samantha's cancer, to Charlotte's struggles with fertility. Now, Carrie and all of her friends are so uber-wealthy, all of their problems are merely mild annoyances, and are pretty much completely unrelatable to the show's viewers. The show itself attempts to make fun of this. I'm really enjoying listening to your podcast, Rich People's Problems. But it falls flat, given that the writing never does anything to fix the problem. One of Carrie's biggest conflicts so far is not wanting to read podcast ad copy, which somehow tanks the entire podcast company. I am not a diva. I did the therapy. I did the eyelashes. I held up that vegan purse on Instagram. But that issue, like any of the other supposed conflicts, disappears into the ether because Carrie is now well off enough that nothing really matters. She's successful enough to have a new book coming out, and she has a new generation of people to fawn over her. Apparently, spending time with Carrie is better than making thousands of dollars. I never get out of bed for less than $10,000 or Carrie Bradshaw. Of course, the book is about Mr. Big's death, and Carrie cries while reading it aloud. I'd forgotten how big he was. But this arc, like everything else, ends up feeling a little hollow, with Carrie faking COVID to get out of her book recording duties and even going on a huge shopping spree as a coping mechanism. And this replacement of actual analysis of the characters' lives with mindless materialism is another huge problem with the show. Instead of giving us interesting commentary on how obstacles are affecting any of them and showing how experiences are changing them as people, everything is just papered over with consumerism and excess. While Carrie has never been a stranger to spending money, in Sex and the City we were actually shown that this retail therapy was her way of avoiding what she really needed to deal with, and that spending was a means of overcoming her problems she would eventually have to face head on. And we see this blind materialism in place of character development in most of the other characters as well. In this season, Charlotte actually becomes angry at her child for selling a Chanel dress she can't even fit into. I can't believe that Lily's perfect pink Chanel, the dress I chose for her first grown-up piano recital, is just out there online. And one of Seema's biggest problems is someone stealing her deeply expensive bag. Someone just stole my Birkin. No, where? Right in front of my goddamn townhouse. And the only time Charlotte seems genuinely proud of her child, Rock, is when they get scouted to model by a Ralph Lauren employee. Oh my god. This is Ralph Lauren. This guy works for Ralph Lauren? Without any conflicts that don't involve the names of one percenter designers, the show is gliding along like it's in sky-high Manola Blahniks, and we, as an audience, are left wondering why we should even care. Sex and the City showed us a romantic fantasy of New York City. Why do I think living in Manhattan is so fantastic? 
because it is. But, and just like that, takes a more obnoxious tone, where it tries to wear its heart on its very loud sleeve. Maybe we should switch gears and, I don't know, talk about abortion rights or how our democracy is hanging by a thread or how our planet is dying. While this scene is meant to juxtapose real issues with Charlotte's concern over being on a MILF list, the lack of subtlety in the show's writing makes viewers feel like they're being yelled at by someone that just hopped out of a time machine from 2012, instead of being presented with engaging ideas or having interesting plot points that would actually delve into any of the above issues. And speaking of yelling, the show has a major arc about a non-binary character, something that is unique and important, but that too is handled with a lack of grace. For who they really are! The show continually presents what it clearly thinks is progressive social commentary, but refuses to engage with any of it in any real way, so it always falls flat. And just like that also takes the cake with its number of totally confounding scenes, including, but not limited to, a slow-motion scene of moms lusting after a child. Carrie complaining about a masked audio producer's body odor, Carrie's ex-podcast producer having what appears to be an IBS attack. Oh, no. I just broke my no holidays before noon rule. And even Carrie receiving a pic while the one and only Gloria Steinem is speaking. Sex in the City certainly had its uncouth and body moments, but and just like that, type of unfunny humor never really seems to actually serve the plot or lead to any sort of character growth, and instead just comes across as yet another poorly done attempt to be hashtag relatable. With all the goodwill Sex in the City managed to engender throughout its long history, it's only natural to want the best for and just like that, and it's admittedly occasionally fun to see what Carrie and her friends are up to after all this time apart, but this show deviates so far from what made the original great that it's hard to find anything to root for. We all had high hopes that maybe the lacklusterness of season one was just the show finding its feet, but now that we're halfway through season two, it looks like maybe, unfortunately, the magic really isn't coming back. But still, not all hope is lost. With Samantha set to make a cameo at the end of this season, things could be getting a much-needed shakeup going into season three, and just like that has worked so hard, for better and worse, to address the criticisms of Sex in the City, so maybe, just maybe, they'll start listening to fans about how to fix this show before it goes off the air. That's the take. Click here to watch a video we think you'll love, or here to check out a whole playlist of awesome content. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications.